Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Ben Powers coming at you from the Commander's Voice. My guest this morning is George Luz Jr., son of George Luz of Easy Company 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment. George, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Ben. It's always great coming on your show and seeing all your viewers. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, as most of my viewers know, George is a, uh, a long time and a recurring guest on the show. Uh, we wanted to get together. It's August. It's uh, National Airborne Month. National Airborne Day is on the 16th of August. Uh, it's a chance to celebrate you know, the first parachute jump, official parachute jump by the American military. It's a chance to uh, celebrate the 82nd Airborne Division, the 101st Airborne Division being established as divisions. It's just a, a really important time of year for paratroopers. But the, the news has kind of uh, overshadowed that a little bit. Folks who are paying attention on what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Now, last couple of days, it's been a really tough time in Kabul. Our Marines and paratroopers are trying to evacuate folks. Uh, our, our airmen, our Navy corpsmen, all types of folks are doing a, a fantastic job trying to deal with the turmoil that's taking place over in Afghanistan right now. We've lost 13 servicemen and women in the past couple of days, and it's just been a, a really tough time. So I want to thank my uh, sisters and brothers who served in Afghanistan, their families, and definitely those that we lost. Uh, it's a time to keep them in our memory as uh, we kind of go forth about our daily activities. George, do you got anything you want to say on that? Yeah, I, I'd like to also. Uh, I, I've got a shirt on that I was given from Chris Langlois, and uh, he gave me this shirt almost nine or 10 years ago. I wear it once a week for all these years. And it says we honor them. And on the back of it, I want to read the inscription. Honor them. In this time of war and in the memory of our fallen heroes, we must be mindful to do everything in our power to keep our troops safe as they keep us safe. Honor them. Um, this shirt was, is made by a company called ForgeClothing.com, and it's founded by U.S. Navy SEALs. Oh, thank you, George. And that's definitely a... Uh... A thing that we should all be carrying with us close to our hearts and honoring those who serve to keep us safe. Uh, I want to dedicate the uh, the remainder of today's show to the uh, the families of the troopers, Marines, and Navy corpsmen that we lost in the past couple of days overseas. Uh, and with that, uh, I just want to open it up and talk about the very interesting stuff that you found uh, in your, you know, that kind of inherited from your dad. Uh, it's the, most of my viewers probably know it's the 20th anniversary of when the uh, Band of Brothers HBO series came out. There's, uh, I'd say there was renewed interest in it, but it seems like the interest has never waned in the past 20 years. It's become something of a cultural phenomenon. I know it inspires a lot of current uh, servicemen and women, especially paratroopers, uh, to, you know, watch it and refresh their memories about the uh, the legacy that your dad and his buddies left to uh, today's generation of troopers. So could you share with us what you have, George? Well, you know, it, it was uh, part of being locked down, I guess, for a certain amount of time. So this I've had this on a little bit. Um, cleaning up the house, you know, you're getting rid of this and that, and you got these bins with things in it. And 
that this one band had a bunch of VCR tapes. And as soon as I saw this one specific VCR tape, I knew exactly what was on there. And it was an interview my dad had done with a guy named Tom Kelly. And Tom Kelly is like a, a historian, a local historian who uh, would go around Rhode Island doing all kinds of pieces, uh, namely uh, veterans type uh, events. And um, he would put it on the public access channel. You know, uh, back in the day, uh, the cable TV companies would have this specific channel. So he had put it on this channel and I remember seeing it. And as soon as I saw it, man, I said, there's where that interview is. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I got together with my editor. So we went from a VCR tape to the new technology and Trevor and myself sat down and took this six minutes in 36 seconds and kind of put it into uh, four different little packages of um, a video that um, I hope you'll enjoy. Okay. So what's the, the, the first clip that we're going to be playing? Well, can you kind of set this one up for us? Yeah. The first clip, let's say the first clip. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is about saving private Ryan. And you know, when I'm, when I'm on tour, when I, I go to cities and towns around the country, I, I tell this story and I read the letter from Winters. But the great thing is I don't need to read the letter from Winters. You can see it now. My dad is telling the story is pretty much exactly like the letter is written to him from uh, Dick Winters. So very cool. Here we go. Stand by while I share my screen. Have you seen Saving Private Ryan yet? No, I, I'll tell you what. Uh, Thursday, I received an envelope, Manila envelope, and one of my uh, buddies, uh, Major William yeah. Winters from uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, yeah. he was uh, guest speaker at the premiere in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, Mr. Spielberg flew him and his friend of his out there, took him to the premiere of the movie and he said to me you have to see that movie you swear to hell in the you swear to hell you're back in Normandy okay and uh, it was unbelievable he said it's unbelievable and I, I'd probably take the ride down and, and see the movie well the interesting thing with that was he's you know he says um I'll, I'll probably see the movie so um Saving Private Ryan came out on July 24th, 1998. And uh, so I went with my dad to see the movie a little ways past that. And um, my dad had this mechanism in him and how he diverted his attention and things like that. But so we're, so we're watching the movie and everything, we've all seen it. And at the end of the movie, when we all stand up and there's the hush over it and they're rolling the credits, my father gets up and he looks at me and said, what the hell was that <laughs> in any of those places? They were marching too close together. So he went on this litany of cinematography faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a reason why he was doing that, because, you know, Ryan was um, an airborne guy. Right. And, you know, the Army guys were saying, why do we got to go save this Army guy? So uh, this airborne guy. So anyway, so that was my dad's reaction to it. And people were like looking at him like, what, what is this guy doing? 
but anyway, little did they know that, you know, he, he jumped into Normandy too. So that's fantastic. That's, that's the most veteran thing I've heard in a while. It, it, Cause you sit there with your buddies and you watch any military movie and everybody's nitpicking stuff. So it's great to hear that an OG <laughs> like your dad was doing the same thing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, I, most of us know that it was, it's the Ryan family from Tonawanda and the connection with Skip Muck and all that stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of people think it was the Solomon family. And, you know, let's face it, they had their tragedies too. But, um, and then one of the um, uh, profound things about this is, uh, you know, I've had a chance to meet um, Skip Muck's family, uh, several of the families, and, and go to Tonawanda when they had the dedication to the monument to Skip Muck and the Nyland family. And um, so anyway, that's been one of the uh, amazing things about the series is to meet not only the guys who survives kids and the guys, but the family members of some of the folks who, some of the soldiers who didn't come home. And one thing I think is really cool that comes from that, not only are we honoring their memories, honoring their legacy, you, you have something like Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers. So there's going to be some technical details wrong and the, the thread heads are going to get upset about it. But at the same time, it opens up a dialogue. Somebody like, you know, my daughter, who is not tremendously interested in these kinds of things, she is a big fan of the series. And that drives her to ask more questions about my service or her grandfather's service. And it, it stimulates an interest in a new generation. The way I look at it, I get details, important facts are important. I'm, I'm not saying they're not, but even a something that's going to have inaccuracies, if it opens up a dialogue about uh, a young woman or a young man's family's past and their contributions to the country, I think it's definitely a, a, a good thing. And that outweighs any technical error or inaccuracy. Oh, I agree. And I think that's what my father would have. The, the most important thing I think, and I probably told you this about my dad was, and this is probably what he thought too, was it opened up a dialogue for people to say exactly what you would say. You know, what did my dad do? What did his grandfather do? And, and, we can hear more of those stories. Yeah, that's that's it's cool. What it's all about, and which is which is why it's great what you do, Ben. I, I appreciate that, George. Speaking of stories, though, so because your dad obviously, in order to jump into Normandy, he had to be trained to be a paratrooper. So I think you got a clip about uh, your dad why he was motivated to be a paratrooper. So could you kind of set this one up for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. You know, I. I you know, I can't remember exactly when I, when I, um, I, you know, I remember seeing this tape, but I had this misconception, I had a, not a misconception, but I had a thought about why my dad joined the, joined the airborne, but he clears it up right here. <laughs> All right. Well, with that set up, give me a second here, folks. I'll share my screen again and we'll, we'll go for it. I went in in 1942. I was, uh, uh 21 years old and I was working on the house making, I don't know, about $16 a week. week yeah. And one day said it's $50 a month extra. Man, I just jumped at my father, just cried. He didn't want me to go. He said, I don't want you doing that, you know. Again. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, you got to remember, he joined in, at the, you know, he, he would live through the Depression, man. They were, they were hurting for money. So, you know, 50 extra bucks a uh, um, a month. And then Maynard, you know, Maynard had a good, uh, they captured that with Maynard in the series when he was being interviewed. Uh, and he said, um, when they, when he was getting the recruiting, uh, pitch and the guy said, you get $50 out of the month. 
And then um, who would like to sign up? And you see him raise his hand. Like, hey. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, hey, going to war is death defying anyway. So you may as well make as much money as you can. Right. I think the thing that's interesting, there's two things I find really interesting about that. Um, one of them is how timeless young soldiers are. You may have heard uh, talking with other guys as you as you do your tours and talk about um, their military experiences of the, the group called the E4 Mafia. So E4 is a pay grade. It's, it's for the uh, younger soldiers in the Army today. They tend to be specialists, uh, which is the rank between private first class and sergeant. It means that they've uh, been in the Army for a couple of years. They've got some experience. They, uh, they, they kind of know the ropes. They can get out of stuff. They can, they, they can be your best friends or your worst enemies. They're, they're, they're your hard work and young troops. And that's the kind of thing, not saying that they're not motivated and dedicated to the mission, but it, you you give a, a an E4 a chance to make a quick buck, they're going to jump on it so that that way they can pay for their cigarettes and energy drinks. Uh, so it's just it, it cracks me up that the you know the, the paratroopers in the 40s had their own version of the E4 mafia. You know, just yeah, well, why don't you join the paratroopers? Yeah, you know, I want to be the best. I want to be hardcore. No, I I want to double my pay is what I want to do. The young soldiers are young soldiers. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I never heard about that. We're going to have to talk about that more in the future. Poor <laughs> mafia. I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear that. When I was going through, uh, I know that officers got more jump pay back in the day uh, than enlisted soldiers. When I was a paratrooper, everybody got a flat rate of 110 bucks a month, which I thought was hysterical because with inflation, salaries were much better, but jump pay had only gone up to 110 bucks in, in, in the 1990s. It wasn't all that much more from 50 bucks in the, in the forties, you know, it just wasn't the, the incentive wasn't there, but guys weren't doing it for the 110 bucks at that point. You know, it was, yeah. but at, at that point there was also more, more cachet to it. You know, that was like, wow, that's a, uh, being a paratrooper was a, a thing. And it was, that sure. was the, the record that guys like your dad and his buddies established was something to aspire to for sure. So that's all it was, was 110 bucks. Yeah, it was 110, but I think it's up to, I think it, I want to say it's up to 150 now, but I was, Jeez. I was, I went through jump school in 1991. So that, 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 that's been a minute ago now, but yeah, it was, it was 110 bucks back when I was on status. That's 75 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need, we need people. You need a better union, I guess. <laughs> All right. So now this, we're talking about jumping out of airplanes. So I think that sets this next clip up pretty well. You want to give give us a little bit of a, uh, a backstory before I play this one. Oh, all right. Yeah. So, you know, my dad, um, this one came from another tape. This came from an even earlier technology cassette tape. Uh, I was just going through my dad's cassette tapes and I was kind of listening to him and trying to find some information. And then this one came up from my dad and he talks about, you know, training with the British and things like that. So this one, you know, when this one first came up, I said, oh, man, this is going to be gold. So go ahead and run it. All right. Give me. So this is the audio tape, correct, sir? Correct. All right. Give me a second here and I'll get this one stood up. Hi, this is uh, George Luz from Rhode Island. A member of the E Company. I, uh, I'm making these recordings after uh, receiving some har harassment from Bill Gonera and a uh, call about two days ago from uh, Richard Winters telling me to get these this tape in. 
about three months before the invasion, I was the uh, selected to uh, train with the British down in uh, Salisbury Plains area, the 6th Airborne Division. Made a few jumps with them. And uh, I can tell you that one of them that I made out of a bomber. So, okay, so George, there, there the tape ends. So your dad's training with the British. He's going <laughs> to jump out of a bomber, but you're just leaving us hanging. So what, what, what's the story? So, so I'm listening to this tape. And I'm saying, like I said, this is going to be gold because I never heard him talk about, let's say, that that, that particular part of his, his service. And I'm saying, this is going to be fantastic. All of a sudden, the thing goes blank. It's like, a... <laughs> however, he told me this story. So I know the ending. Like he said, he jumped out of a bomber and you showed the picture of one of the bombers. One of the bombers. And I, Whitney or something like that. And... Um, so he tells me, he says, okay, now this particular bomber, what they do is they jump out of the middle, the belly of the plane. There's a hole there and they jump out of that. So my dad jumps out and he gets oriented and he looks out and here comes the bomber, another bomber right at him. So oh my goodness, like a base of action and get out of the way. So uh, I, I always remember him telling me that story. So I would have preferred to hear him tell it himself. But anyway, but yeah, so he told me that story. So that's what happened. The bomber was just bearing right down on him. You know, I wonder how often that happened. You know, when you have these V's and everybody's jumping out and, you know, certain people are faster or slower or whatever it is. So, I mean, I, I can't speak from how things were done in the, especially the British uh, Royal Air Force in 1944, but the ordinarily, you know, you the aircraft, the pilots are certified to drop paratroops. They know how to keep station. They know how to keep offset from each other. They know how to maintain altitude, but th th there's always mishaps and, and miscommunications. That's for sure. But you would think that, you know, a paratrooper exits an aircraft, they're descending, you know, vertically down the air, the bombers are going horizontally. They would be, you know, above where the paratroopers yeah. are dropping. So there's obviously some kind of miscommunication. I'm glad your dad was able to survive <laughs> that mishap. Holy cats. <laughs> that was crazy. So, but jumping out to so the, the Whitley bomber, that's, that's absolutely amazing. And that, I, I always thought jumping through the hole in the floor, that's something you see in like all the, the world war II spy movies, but I can't think sure. of a more inefficient way to drop parachute infantry. You know, that, 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 that just makes the C-47 seem so much more effective in order to be able to get the troops out quickly. And yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Quickly. Now, you know, now my, you know, I haven't been able to do any real research on that. How did they determine who was going to train with the British and who wasn't? You know, like I, I know they didn't cross train half of the troops, but, you know, so why did my dad get chosen to train with the British? And, you know, they just say, okay, who's going to volunteer? Okay, you, 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 you know how the military is. You don't really volunteer. They, they volunteer you. That's what I was thinking. And, and I'm, you know? I'm thinking, I, I've obviously, I've, again, I've got no idea. I wasn't there. I've got, I've got two thoughts, though. One, based off my experience as a company commander, that Luz was available. He was in my, he was in my line of sight when I got the task. <laughs> hey, Luz isn't doing anything. Get him over here. <laughs> That's true. That's probably the way it happened. <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I'm thinking about, and this is pure conjecture, is just pure conjecture, is that uh, you, 
when we had uh, Joey Azanov on the show and he was talking about the Jedbergs. And if you remember the, the OSS teams were always three, three, three person teams. There was a, an officer commanding the team. Then there was always a foreign officer, ordinarily French, who would be able to speak the language and be the liaison with the resistance when the Jedbergs hit mm-hmm. the ground and occupied France. And then an enlisted radio man. And I know your dad was, I know your dad was a radio man and usually the bombers were the, the method of insertion for uh, the Jedburg teams because they could be inserted as part of a larger bombing operation. It okay. kind of provided a, okay. a, a plausible cover for getting those teams. Sure, inserted. Sure, sure. I'm not saying your dad was considered to try out for the OSS, but it does, <laughs> it, it, at the same time, it, it, it does make me kind of wonder why was this radio guy suddenly dropping out of, you know, with yeah. the bombers. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it just, it opens up this question mark. I'm like, <laughs> you know, but I, again, I don't know. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. but anyway, true or not, your dad didn't go to the OSS. He stayed with easy company and he, yeah. and he did jump into combat out of a C 47. And I think we've got something that talks about that a little bit too. Well, yeah, this is a great one because I've got my dad, I've got a, um, I've got an audio clip of my dad, and I think we've done this one before. Of my dad talking about his experience jumping into Normandy, and and but but here you go, you know, this is great because you know all your viewers are going to get a chance to see my dad tell the story in person on camera, and uh, so this is his experience jumping into Normandy uh, and landing, and um, uh, just a brief little overview of what he saw. What happened to us in Normandy was. Uh... I, uh, as we were flying in, I happened to look out and I could see the beach. And uh, when they stand, stand up and hook up, uh, I asked the guy, uh, the, one of the crew chiefs, what time is it? He said, it's 1.30. So we stood up and hooked up. And it, there's a box above the door. When the red light comes on, you hook up. It's going, it's going, guys. When the green light comes going, on, going, you go. But what happened, any aircraft shell started exploding, and it shorted out the box. Oh, wow. It was going red, green, red, green, and we were waiting. Yeah. Finally, the navigator came out from the cockpit and said, what are you guys doing in here? We were about, let's say, three to four minutes late. Wow. That put and, you a long way back. Right. When we landed, I expected to see, you know, at least three or four guys around me. Yeah. But I was all alone. Wow. Uh, that was, I went out, it's about 1.30, and I didn't get back to my company at quarter to eight in the morning. Wow. Quarter to eight. All night. Uh, all night. And the invasion, when they started shooting the, the Navy, I swear to hell, I saw those shells. They were so huge. Yeah. And uh, uh, I teamed up with a, another officer from headquarters company, and we gone over the hedgerows, and we finally went up and met him. We moved on to a place called Carantan. Uh, we stayed there for a while. Then they moved us outside, uh, outside of Sherbog. But we went up there, and we left uh, uh, Normandy somewhere around the latter part of July, August, or 1st of August. And little did we know, we were going back and get ready to jump into Holland.
Yeah, that was my dad's experience jumping into Normandy. So it's funny to hear your dad talking about, you know, landing on their feet and being lighter. It all, because I'm again, two things come to mind when I watch, you know, Band of Brothers, or when I watch the the newsreel footage of paratroopers getting on aircraft, they're definitely weighed down. They're laden down. But those haversacks they carried are a third of the size of some of the rucksacks that I had to jump. And mm-hmm. it looks like you know you, you you see Bucks walking around. He's got his shoot on. He's got he's already got his you know his haversack you know rigged up. But he's not. Compared to a trooper in the 82nd when I was on status, he's barely laden with anything. Whereas mm. like when we were getting ready to jump into Haiti, my rucksack weighed over a hundred pounds. Wow. It, it was, it, 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 I was, to be honest, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with it. Once I hit the ground, it, <laughs> it, 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 we, we were, we were way overloaded, but that, that, yeah. that, that's, a, that's a different discussion for a different day, but they seem as though they went in really light. Like, com- okay. you know, true combat equipped. We're, we're not bringing anything extraneous. We're, 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 we're bringing ammo, water, and some, some small small rations, and we're just going to make this happen. So it, it seems like they've got less equipment on them to begin with, which leads to less injury when you're making a jump. But number two, like all, all the troopers I served with, I mean, they, they were runners and they were fit, but those guys could, you know, if everyone's bench pressing 250, 300 pounds and they, they look like they're, mm. your dad, I, I could bench press your dad. <laughs> Those guys were tiny compared to paratroopers today. Oh, sure. So, yeah. yeah. When you weigh 110 pounds, it's a lot easier to make a standing <laughs> landing. You know, <laughs> that's well, all Walter, Gordon, Walter Gordon tells that, you know, I listened to Walter Gordon's interview with, um, with Ambrose and uh, he, he tells that he said, all these other guys were like gymnasts. <laughs> these, these little small guys because walter was like six foot uh he was like six foot and he he wasn't a gymnast that's for sure and he uh he talks about you know landing and and ambrose would ask him about your landing you know how did it go and he said well you didn't really land you know gracefully it was kind of like a splat <laughs> so uh so anyway so that that was the particular case but you're right they were like gymnasts i think my dad weighed you know he didn't weigh any he was like Five six, five seven, anyway, and uh, you know they were all really small guys. So, which is, I, I always find that impressive too, because you see, uh, you look at you can't ever judge a book by its cover, like they say. But you look at a really good group of uh, you know paratroopers. There's always going to be some muscle heads, but the the guys who really keep trucking tend to be the small, lean guys because they've mm-hmm. there's there's just something about that body type. I don't, yeah there's always heart, mental toughness, et cetera. But you, you put yourself as a, at a disadvantage if you're, you're carrying around an extra, you know, 30 pounds, even if it's muscle, you're like, mm-hmm. you're already that, uh, that, that mo- much more encumbered it, uh, being able to find that balance between being strong and being, and being able to have a lot of endurance, the anaerobic versus the aerobic it's mm. it, the army is always trying to figure out the right combination of fitness to, to, to keep on trucking. That's for sure. But that guys seem to be smaller, you know, 75 years ago anyway, though, that's for sure. Oh, that's, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. We've all grown a few more inches than our dad, you know, cause my dad's <laughs> like five, seven and I'm like five, 11 and a half. I never could make that six foot. That always bothered me. <laughs> Go, t- just round up. That's what we do in the army. I know. That's what I just saying. I'm six foot tall, six foot, tall. you know, six foot tall. One night. There you go. Right. I used to weigh one. That was a long time. But you're looking great, Jewish. So what's, 
now you you mentioned you found the, the tape when you're kind of taking advantage of the the, the COVID slowdown, if you will. Uh, so what's going on now? What, what what now that things might start be getting back to normal? Folks are getting vaccinated. What what's next for George Liss? Well, yeah, the, uh, the the trips to Normandy and the trips to Europe with Stephen Ambrose uh, haven't revved up yet. Uh, we're hoping that in the future things happen. But uh, I've been able to put together a couple of uh, trips uh, within the U.S. I'm going to be speaking at some private events. And, uh, you know, hey, if anybody ever wants me to come and, uh, you know, share these stories with them, if they've got an event coming up in the future, uh, you know, just give me a buzz and, you know, we can talk about details and things like that and, um, you know, I, it's, it's always an honor for me to, to share these stories about um, my dad and the guys he served with. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and anybody who wants to get in touch with George, they can leave a comment here, right here on the Commander's Voice, uh, and we'll make sure you guys get hooked up. Uh, it is always a great talking to you, George. It's always great having you on the show. It's always great hearing your dad's stories. Speaking of which, I think you got a final one to share with us. You want to set this one up? Yeah, well, uh, this last one here is him explaining a little bit about techniques and jumping uh, and things like that. Um, you know, what his experience is in in, uh, in the techniques of airborne. Um, and uh, you, you might hear a little gunfire in the background on this. This one's got. All and, right. Give me a second here. I'm getting this one set up. If the folks will bear with me. Last time I made a jump was in uh, Holland. No, wait a minute. I mean, you haven't jumped since you got out? No, no. I had to make, we have to make a, a jump about once every three months. To qualify. To keep, no, to keep your jump status up. Okay. So, just before I came home, I made a jump. Well, I, I went down to the jump fest the other day. Yeah. And I don't like their shoots. You know, they, yeah, yeah. they give you this. Yeah. Uh, the shoots that we had, you had to... Uh, Going up and you pull on a two, you go right, pull on a left, and you were able to control your shoot a lot better than that. They didn't look like they had much control. No, I mean, we'd always came in on our feet. I watched them guys down there, all you see was arms and legs. You know, whoa, whoa. (laughs) George, thank you. Alrighty. Right, George. George Laws. Laws. George, keep smiling. We'll catch you again. All right. God bless. Okay. So, yeah. So, in this one here, you know, I found it interesting when, uh, you know, he was talking about jumping in the legs, bala boom, and all that kind of stuff. He's taken me to that Leap Fest, um, uh, which is an international competition where uh, airborne troops from all over the world uh, come to Rhode Island and take part in this competition. And uh, so I went with him, and then when he passed away, I continue to go whenever I'm in town. It's typically in the beginning of uh, beginning of uh, August. And a dear friend of both of ours, um, David Aceta, um, I always try to contact Dave because he typically takes part in that competition. So we always, I always try to make sure I'm there when uh, he lands on at least one of his jumps. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it was, it's uh, it's a great it's a great um, event, and uh, and th- and that particular event that my dad was at um, was put on by the Rhode Island Army National Guard, and uh, it was a employer appreciation weekend or something like that, which included Leap Fest, and uh, it was interesting the way um, uh, the the interviewer 
Tom Kelly, uh, you know, went to my dad's, you know, uh, name tag and said, George, George Luz. And um, uh, because this was before Band of Brothers, you know, the book had come out, but Tom probably didn't know who my dad was. He was, a, he was another veteran and like Tom was actually. And um, so the ironic thing was that was my dad's last interview. And uh, he was killed in that industrial accident less than two months later. So. I, I, I always think it's a shame that he was not around to see the series and see how things, things kind of shook out. But that's uh it's absolutely amazing to hear him talking about his stories, talking about, Hey, I got a call from Garnier. I got a call from major winners, you know, these household names now that at the yeah. time that that would have been the first time, you know, unless he was a real fan of Ambrose's book, the first time Mr. Kelly probably heard those names, you know, and, and oh, now yeah. they're almost a cultural phenomenon. So thank you very much for sharing this with us, George. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, you know, I've had these things for a little while and I'm just, uh, uh, because I haven't been on the road, I haven't been able to share them with anybody. And I, I wanted to share them with you, uh, Ben, because, uh, you know, we've had a lot of fun on these. You do a great job. You're a great host, very knowledgeable. So uh, I thought uh, no better way to debut these uh, than with you. It, it's always a ball to have you on the show, George. I'm looking forward to having you back soon. So thank you, everybody, for watching. This has been George Luz and Ben Powers on the Commander's Voice uh, talking about, you know, paratroopers back in the day. But please remember, we've got paratroopers, Marines, airmen, sailors, everyone deployed in harm's way today. Uh, thank you very much, and y'all take care. Bye.